Turn with me to Ephesians 5. As I said, I'll abbreviate uh, what we'll be looking at, and, I, and this was planned in advance. Uh, we'll be looking at um, where, we had ta- where we left off in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles turned there, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Turn with me again to Ephesians 5. I'm only going to read three verses uh, over the next uh, week, between next, this week and next week. I'm going to cover seven things through verses 15 through 21 that relate to walking in wisdom. If you've been here on a Wednesday night in our Proverbs study, it, the whole series of, is about uh, wisdom. Well, this is actually a New Testament uh, epistle from Paul expressing what the wise or the mature or the surrender to the Lord, what their lives will look like, how we prioritize our lives. And so I'm just going to read the first three verses of, of verses 15 through 21, and then we'll pick up uh, 18 through 21 next week. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. We'll get into what that word means if you haven't used that word lately. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. You might want to underline that about a hundred times. Well, if you do that, you can't see the verse after it. But anyway, you can underline it a few times. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Lord, in these few verses, it certainly connects what we've just heard from Lee and Zach. It certainly connects what we've seen and what's taking place in Houston and Southeast Asia. Lord, that we have a limited amount of time, that we would understand the will of the Lord, that we would be fulfilling your will and your work that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, even, Lord, as it has been done in Jesus. And, Lord, we ask that you would speak now to us in these remaining minutes, as you've already done through worship, through this exhortation of those that are serving in a foreign land. And, Lord, now, as we just open up this text, you take even the last remaining minutes we have here, Lord, to just imprint upon our heart your will, your desire, and we would yield to it. For your glory and our growth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to do any review. We're going to jump right in and just take what we have. And, and, I, and I believe that these few verses, uh, as you probably have the opportunity to think more about them, even in the coming week, as we pick this up in, in kind of a, a part two, if you will, next week. But I want to talk about at least the first two, circumspect and redeeming time, and we'll see what we can get to in, in both of them. But the first, and here's the list of seven. If, you, if you'd like to take note, you'll know what we're covering between this week and next week uh, in this text through verse 21. But the first thing we want to look at is, what does Paul mean by seeing that you walk circumspectly? Again, this isn't a word that most of us use every day. In, in today's texting world, Twitter world, social media world, words have become smaller and less informative, and we use terms like LOL and stuff like that, and you know, it just, but words that have meaning 
a lot of times people aren't grasping, understanding. And God, he gives us words that, that have depth. Wouldn't you agree? Have depth. Sanctification. That has depth, right? Salvation. That has depth. Circumspect. What does it mean? Well, in the Greek, akribos is the word. Akribos. That probably doesn't help you any more than circumspect, does it? So what does that mean? Well, akribos or circumspect, it means accurately or diligently. Accurately or diligently. Now, so when we read that verse, we can say it like this. See that you walk accurately and diligently. Does that make more sense? Yes. See that you walk accurately and diligently. Christian, are you walking accurately in the truth of God? Accurately in the gospel? Accurately in what Jesus has said? Are you walking diligently in the application of that truth? So it's one thing to say, yes, I, I, I'm walking accurately in truth, but now are you applying diligently that to your life? You see, the wise, unlike the foolish, will value truth. Foolishness does not value truth. Eh, I don't get time for that. Eh, I don't really care about that. You know, it's, we, we, me and another brother in this room, we were sharing the gospel with someone. I asked him about, you know, what are you, you going to do in 10 years from now? Don't know the Lord. What are you going to do in 20 years? I don't think much about the future. That's not a wise answer, is it? I don't think much about the future. Everything we do today is related to what we're doing tomorrow. Amen? To walk wise, to value that truth, to apply it. If we're wise, we'll continue learning truth. We'll say, I already know enough. I already know plenty. You should be learning every day. I should be learning every day. We should all be learning every day, but not just <coughs> learning it, but then applying that in our life. Meditating on truth that will be intentional and diligently walking in truth. Biblical truth informs our theology. Biblical truth. So you say, uh, theology. Isn't that like spiritual, religious stuff? Biblical truth informs our theology. Now, theology, you've heard the word, is the study of God. The study of God. Theos. The study of God. His character. It's the study of his character. It's the study of uh, his revelation of faith. It's his study of his word. It's the study of the practice of worshiping God as human beings. As you study all of these things, the theos or the understanding of God is found in the word of God. That's where you understand sound theology, doctrine. It's only found in the word of God. You can't find it in other books. It has to be found in the word of God. Now, many other books are written about what's in the word of God. So there are theological books which break things down, much like I'm doing right now. Teaching and preaching is a breakdown on the theology of God. But our, our truth has to come from the Bible. And when the truth comes from the Bible, that informs our theology, our thinking about God. Now, if our theology is accurate, it will greatly impact every aspect of our life. It will impact your marriage. It'll impact how you raise your children. It'll impact what jobs you would say yes to and what jobs you would say no to. So I'd do anything for a million bucks. I wouldn't. Would you? Plenty of things I wouldn't do for a million bucks. Well, if the job's good enough, what? 
What if they wanted you to be a liar? Your theology informs the decisions you make. It informs every aspect of your life. It'll also spur us to action. Our theology causes it. As Zach said, the gospel is a go command. Once your theology is right, you say, even if you say, well, God, I don't feel like going. I don't feel like going anywhere. The Holy Spirit will say, you, your theology is not accurate, nor are you diligently walking in it. It informs these things, but it also spurs an action in our life. This is how Paul can urge this circumspect life. This is why he's urging the Ephesians to walk circumspectly, that they would actually have an accurate understanding of truth, but diligently walk in that truth. Ephesus, Paul would say, you know the truth. Now you have to diligently walk in the truth. He's speaking to that church, but he's speaking to us as well. They have to stay in that knowledge. They have to grow in that knowledge. They have to be diligent. Don't get led astray and don't fall asleep. We looked at this last week in, in, the, in the previous verses. Look at verse 14, one verse above. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. So it's one thing to have the right theology, but if you're sleepwalking, that's a big difference between being wide awake. And so Paul is saying you can't be asleep. You have to accurately and diligently, not one or the other. Well, I'm accurate, but I'm not diligent. I'm diligent, but I'm not accurate. How would you like it if I was very diligent, but not accurate? I have no idea what text I'm teaching from today. Not a clue. But as far as I know, I studied really hard. I accidentally studied the crayon and this and that and the other, and that's what you're getting, right? Accuracy matters. Diligence matters. Being awake matters. That's why he said that in the 14th verse, getting back to last week for just a second, because, we, again, we don't want to forget what we've learned in the past. We want to actually tie it to the next piece of the puzzle, because all of it is important in our walk. Now, have you ever been to the beach? Some of you probably been this summer. Uh, I know some of you like the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Some of you like to go in the water. Some of you think there's sharks in the water. You won't go in the water. There are sharks in the water, by the way, but it uh, doesn't mean that you'll meet one. But, but anyway, if you've ever been out on the beach, and some of you, like me, like to get in the water, I, I've been in water sports my whole life, surfing, water skiing, all that stuff. And so if you go out in the water, maybe you've been out in the water and you've got your kids in the beach. You know, it's, it's one of those days where there's decent waves, you've got the rafts, the boogie boards, all that stuff out. And you know, it's, not, it's not like Hawaii or anything like that where there's like, 30-foot waves, but, you know, you've got a nice day of riding waves, and you're out there, and maybe you're playing with the kids, doing some body surfing, doing some boogie boarding, throwing the ball around, or doing something like that, and you realize after you've been playing in the water that somehow you're 100 feet further down the beach. You ever done this? You're just out there playing around, having a good time, you look up and say, hey, where's our cooler? It's a mile up the beach, you know, something like that. How did we end up here? We're just having a good time, and now we're 100 feet, 200 feet down. The whole time you're playing, there's what's called a current slowly pulling you further and further and further away from where you started. You didn't notice it, weren't paying attention, you're having a good time, everything seemed normal, but you look up and you then have a spouse doing this from a distance. Were you even watching the kids? That kind of thing. <laughs> Do you have a clue where they're at? Well, yeah, I threw them a ball. You threw it further another 100 feet down, and they got caught in a current. Now they're even further down the beach. 
And then you become, at that point, either by emphasis from spouse or something, to become more vigilant and find a fixed point and fighting against the current <coughs> and saying, here's where I need to be. Here's the, there's the cooler, it's bright red, or there's the lifeguard stand, or there's that house, and there's a row of houses, but we got to stay in front of that house in the water. And your legs have to be involved with this action. Your arms have to be involved in this action. Your mind has to be involved with this action. Everything you do has to say, I've got to stay in this place, otherwise I drift down. And by the way, the same currents that can take you away can also take you under. Same currents that take you this way can take you out. Because there's what's in the ocean called cross currents. So one current that can move you this way can actually get, and people actually drown in small amounts of water sometimes, or then they panic. They don't, they don't swim cross current. But all of these things you have to understand. You say, I found a fixed point, and this is where I'm going to stay. And maybe even work hard to go beyond that fixed point because you will still drift back to the fixed point. That makes sense? You ever done that? Where you actually say, I go a little bit beyond that because each time we ride a wave, it automatically carries us that way because that's the way the waves are going. That's the way the current is going. And you might start stressing to your kids that they too have to find that fixed point. This sounds spiritually familiar. <laughs> that they have to find that fixed point. That they also need to be intentional. And this is the walk of the Christian life. This is what it means to be circumspect. To walk in a circumspect manner. To be accurate and diligent. A fixed point is an accurate thing, right? While you're swimming in the water, the current will move, but the house that you're looking at that's right there will stay there. The cooler, unless someone steals it, will stay there, right? The umbrella will stay there. Those are fixed points. That's the accuracy part, but the diligence part is dependent upon you because the waves are going to still do what they do. The current of this world is always going to keep doing what it does, and that is to brush you and I further away from any fixed point of accuracy or diligence, to not even pay attention to it, to not care. And Paul was saying, no, you have, to, you have to pay attention. Fools don't pay attention. Fools build on sand. We build on rock. Fools don't uh, have any fix on the truth. Truth, the, truth is relative today in America, right? Eh, what you think is truth, I don't think is truth. You know that would never really work if people lived this out. Hey, what's yours is now mine. Would everyone be okay with that? Well, in my, in my truth of the world, everything you have belongs to me. Well, there's people that believe that, right? World dictators believe that. <coughs> Are we comfortable with that kind of relativism? No, because that is not of the Lord at all. That's humanity saying what I think matters or what I think is true is now more important than what you Thing. But it really doesn't matter what any of us think. It matters what God thinks. Amen? Amen? We fix our attention. We fix our hearts on his truth, his accuracy, and we stay diligent. The Lord, the more I understand your truth, it doesn't make us some sort of like uh, just fountain of knowledge. It actually will make us fountains of grace fountains of love. When we fix on truth and we diligently walk in it, we'll actually become more loving, more giving, not, well, well I just, uh, I am a legalistic walk by, I don't budge from this. That's not what he's saying either. Because as we go on, uh, we're not going to be able to get there today, but when we get to uh, verse 21, he talks about submitting to one another. 
So there's going to have to actually be some dying to ourselves, and we'll get to that. But with the few minutes left, I want to take just a minute. We'll, we'll touch more on this. We're not going to be able to get into the full amount of this, but we'll kind of pick it up next week. Redeeming time. This, this must matter a lot to God because you're going to get part of it today and more of it next Sunday. And I really believe it does. I spent more time laboring over this verse, redeeming the time, than as much as any passage I've done in Ephesians. So much so that I even had lunch with a few guys in, uh, in this church, and I asked them, I said, tell me what you think redeeming time means. Because guess who put this in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit said, redeeming time, because the days are what? Evil. Now, what that term means, so you get a little education about what the term means, and then we'll look more at redeeming the time next week. But just uh, so you're kind of thinking about this in the coming week, and you meditate yourself on what it means to redeem time, what God means by redeem time, because it really doesn't matter what we think it means, it matters what God says it means. So the evil, where it says, because the days are evil, it means the same as to say this present age. What present age are we talking about? All the age of humanity that's bound by time. In heaven, we're no longer bound by time, correct? But guess what else isn't in heaven? There's no evil in heaven. There's no darkness in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no struggles in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's no battles in heaven. But in this present age, life is tough evil's out there. While you and I may be spending our time doing all kinds of things, some of them good, some of them not so valuable, some of them really noble, some of them spiritual, some of them just essential. How many of you wasted time sleeping last night? You didn't waste time sleeping last night. That's actually a valuable use of time. Remember Jesus was asleep in the boat? Was he wasting time or passing time? Squandering time? Sleeping in the boat. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was sleeping in the boat. When everyone else was awake, by the way, he was teaching that rest is important, but also he was teaching them that you can't worry about storms because storms in life happen. So at the same time they were worried and worked up, he was sound asleep. He was killing two birds with one stone. He was, one, getting rest that he needed. Two, he was showing that worry doesn't help us. That's a different teaching, but they're related because Jesus, there's a fixed amount of time that he was asleep in the boat. So to understand when redeeming the time, we're going to look at this more in depth this week and next week. But the question is, are we passing time or are we redeeming time? We understand that we have this present age, this evil age. Would you, think that, would you say that things were evil in the time of the Roman Empire? Absolutely. It's a, wicked, it's a wicked regime. They crucified people. They ended up in, uh, organizing things like the Colosseum and, wa and watched people fight to their death. There was rampant immorality. There was rampant drug use. Sound familiar? 
This present age, the evil days that were then are still today, and they're growing more evil. Now, again, how we use time. While you and I might be using time to let this is a holiday weekend. Some of you might say, I we're planning on cooking burgers on the grill. And we're going to sit around and eat and talk. That's a really good use of time, by the way. That's called relationships. That's called building and investing time together. That's not a waste of time. Did you know Jesus would actually gather and have meals with people? He wouldn't say, oh, you know, uh, I got stuff to do, so having a meal with you is really going to waste my time. No. That's an important thing, gathering together. But while you and I are doing that, did you know that the leader of North Korea is working hard on hydrogen bombs? He's using his time, too. Did you know that ISIS, right now, somewhere in the world is planning their next attack? While other people are at the beach and relaxing and doing this and doing that, they are planning that someone is working on bombs. Someone is working on a strategy of surprise. Someone else's, some other country uh, leader may be working on future plans to invade. Why? Because Paul said, in this present evil age, Satan's using time, and he's using people to use time, but God wants us to know that we also are bound by time, and we must use our time for the kingdom of God and for the investment in the things that matter to the Lord. One little thing, and then we'll, we'll come to a close, and we'll pick up. Okay, this was just the primer. We'll get into this next week. But I want you to understand the word redeeming here. The Greek word, another Greek word here, exag. Arazzo, exagerazzo. It's got a couple of meanings, but I want you to see the full perspective when you look at the two, the two pieces of this word, the two meanings of this word, which come together, which give us the full understanding, and it'll kind of give us something to all think about as we go through this week, and maybe even process your time management through this understanding. Then we'll come back and get into this more next week. He said, so the meaning, the Greek word, the meaning... Um, the first meaning of it is the payment of a price to recover from the power of another. The payment of a price. Think about redeeming someone who's in bondage. The payment of a price to recover something that's under the power of another. Do you believe, as I think is definitely true, that many people's time is under the power of somebody else? The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of who? The wicked one. Many people, their time is not in any way under the authority of God, nor is it even under their own authority. It's Satan has full lock down their calendar. All of their time is dedicated to this world, whether they realize it or not. The second part of the meaning is to make wise and sacred use of time. So one, you have to get the time back from the power that's under. And two, you have to make sacred use of that time. So redeeming of time means seeing time through a spiritual lens and prioritizing it based on Scripture. It's going to ha it's good. By the way, it's going to cost us something to gain time back, isn't it? It's going to cost us something. We're having to buy it back, spiritually speaking. We're not going to pay money, but we're going to have to buy it back 
from those things that it's under the current control of, and then we'll have to spend that time with eternity in mind. And we're going to leave off right there, and then when we get back next week together, we're going to pick it up more with redeeming the time, because the redeeming of the time sheds full light on the rest of the list. But the first two do. If you're not walking circumspectly, and you're not walking accurately, and you're not doing it diligently, and our time isn't yielded to the Lord, then none of the rest of this list will happen either. Amen? None of the rest of it will happen. It won't matter to anybody. But when we start to see and understand, oh, Lord, that's what you mean. The good news is, this is actually the stuff that will bring us joy and peace and no longer be under the tyranny of the urgency of time, but be under the timeless God. Amen? Let's close in prayer. I'm going to ask you, as you stand in prayer, and the worship team, I'm not even going to have you come up. We're just going to have you stand and close in prayer. Which, as we look at next week, we will not do. Because one of the list items there is worship and song and encouraging others. And I love music, and I love us to worship together, and we'll uh, talk more about that next week. But I want to be uh, sensitive to making sure that we close. And if you have kids, and your kids are being watched by people who are over there saying, please end on time. That, that's, that's what they say. They don't tell me that, but I, I know that they think that. And because I know they think that, and I love them, and I want to be attentive to their time, uh, I always want to be mindful of people who are working hard to show love to our kids and to pour into them. Uh, but uh, I hope that you take to heart what you've heard from Lee and Zach, and you think about all the lost people of India. That's just India, but Southeast Asia. You take to heart all the blessings God's given us. Don't wait till Houston arrives at our doorstep. Go to these places in your prayer closet, in your giving, and your heart. Bring the same love that we would be giving there to people here in Richmond because you may reach someone now. I'm going uh, to mention this again next week, but this little book here, uh, this little book I've shared with a number of guys. They're probably tired of me saying it, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> this little book is called Miracles in a Doctor's Life. I read, I've been reading it to my family. I got it several years ago. This one was published in 1935. This is an original, 1935 little book. And um, so it's an antique. And his life, most of these stories took place in the teens, the 20s, and the 30s in, in America. What I love about these stories, not, not only are they all true, and they're written by a man who's now in heaven, Dr. Walter Wilson, who lived in the early part of this uh, teens, 30s, I can't remember when he died, 40s or 50s. So he was a medical doctor and a businessman. Now, I meet a lot of people that have important jobs and important titles, and, and you know, I used to be in the business world for like five, 15, 16 years, and he was a medical doctor and a businessman, but unlike most people who have big, important titles, he had an incredible amount of time for people. And because he had an incredible time for people and for prayer... He constantly saw miracles and people saved everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. Like he just, he would go places, he'd be on business trips, and he'd win three people to Christ. He'd go places to a medical thing, and he'd win someone to Christ. He'd go places, he'd disciple someone that was about to fall away. Again and again and again, I read the stories, and they're amazing. 
And I say that because when we walk circumspectly, when we have the whole world in mind, like Leah and Zach were talking about, when we have people in mind, when we have time in mind from an eternity perspective, you can be effective this coming week anywhere you go for Jesus. Do you believe that? You could sit stuck standing in line and minister to someone instead of do this. The whole time you're in line. You could just say, hey, man, your kids are cute. What, how old are they? The lost art of caring about somebody else. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is, this is, again, this stuff is not just stuff that we would know. God wants us to walk in it. Amen? And then when we do that, we'll care more about India. We'll care more about Houston. But we'll also care more about Chesterfield County. Amen?